Today we're going to go to the story of Daniel in our, in our continued series on the story time series. And I, I, I loved it. Last week we talked about Balaam and I, we asked in one of our services how many have heard it. And there again, it was like 60, 70% never heard that. So we're going to go back and we're not going to take that for granted. Um, but how many of you have been a part of this series before and you're seeing the life application that still resonates today? from those old stories in the Bible that God has told. How many of you have got something out of it that applies in your life? I, I say that because I think there's a movement. Either we're all New Testament, no Old Testament. We're all grace and we don't study law. But the thing is, is Jesus fulfilled the law. So we're not saying you live under the law. Even Jesus said the law was to show how bad we are. How many of you can read the Ten Commandments and realize we're bad people sometimes, right? Anybody say amen to that? And you say, well, I don't break them. If you've ever told a lie, you broke one, all right? So let, let, let's just go how easy it is to do that. And as we look at this and as we go forward, we realize that grace didn't just happen when Jesus came into the earth. Grace has been there. God's grace has been showing up throughout all of history, all the way back to the first sin, all the way up to date to your and my sin uh, that we may commit yesterday, today, or tomorrow. God's grace is there. Today, I'm, I'm going to preach probably a, a difficult sermon, and, and, and then difficult because I don't think it's one that's, want, that's, that's really wanting to be heard today um, in the society that we live in, um, in the church culture that we have. I think our current church culture wants a little bit more fluff and a lot less do, a little bit more of what God's going to do, a little bit less of what we need to do, uh, a little bit more of goodness and a little bit less of the realities of an enemy that is out there trying to devour you. And we want to pretend that that's not real, but it is. It's very real. And a lot of times we get frustrated and our frustration comes out on God, but if we had spiritual eyes open, we'd realize that that frustration is coming from an attack of the enemy. An attack trying to take out your purpose, an attack trying to steal your joy. Um, and, and let's be honest, happiness is few and far between, but joy should be stable. And how many of you in here can honestly say, and I'm going to not raise my hand here, how many of you can honestly say that you have consistent joy in your life? Or how many of you would be honest and say, it's a struggle? It's a struggle for me. I mean, we have a world that just screams out the negativity that's around us, but we have an enemy that likes to point out the negative things in us. Point out the things that we fell at. Point out the things that we're not good at. Point out the things that we struggle with. And, and, and I don't know, maybe this will be healing for you, but it, 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 church shouldn't be a place where you come in and pretend struggles don't exist. It might be good for you to say, I have struggles. Anybody with me say that with me? Ready? I have struggles. Anybody realize that most of your struggles are in here? How many of you got a lot going on in there today? All right, yeah, if you're alive, you got thoughts, you process billions of thoughts every week. I mean, they, they are flooding through your mind constantly, calling your name constantly. How many of you got a to-do list longer than your abilities? Right? If you were to write down the talents and abilities, your to-do list, uh, it's bigger than that. How many of you got a to-do list that's longer than the amount of time you have to do it? Yeah, and, and, and what does that result in? It results in feeling like a failure. It results in struggle. results in not feeling good enough. And, and we live in that world. And so we're going to go to the book of Daniel today, and we're going to grab that, that, that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but not the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that had an identity attack. And we're going to look in Daniel 1, and we're going to take on, and we're going to start pointing out the tactics of the enemy, because I believe in our lives, a lot of times we forget that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and we start taking that fight to our kids. We start taking that fight to our spouses. We start taking that fight to each other, and we got to realize that the enemy hates you, hates you. There's no like in you. There's no want to, want to make you feel good or want to give you a little bit of success. Matter of fact, if the enemy is letting you have success today, it's based on the merit that he knows that the route you're taking will make you feel good for a season and then drop you. It is not to help you. And I'm telling you right now, we live in a world that thinks I can do, and we talked to our teenagers about this, Andre, didn't we, on a couple Wednesday nights ago about the keys and, and, and how we live in a world that says, okay, God, you can have control of this area of my life. You can have control of this area of my life. You can have control of this area but I'm going to hold on to this one because I feel like, you know, if I, if I don't do this, if I don't do this right, and if it's not up to me, it won't get done right. And so we're hanging on to this and we're wondering why life is a tug of war and why it won't work out. And it's because you and I were not meant to actually be in control of any part of our lives. We were meant to surrender total control and then be obedient to the one that is in control and do the things that he has told us to do. 
But I don't know about you, but there's certain words that are, are real in my life. And anybody know the word panic? Anybody got that kind of going in your mind? What do you do when you panic? Talk to me. I know we're on live stream. I'll have to echo it. What, what happens normally when you panic? You pray? Okay, there's the one good one. Let's get that one out of the way. All right. That is not normally my go-to. I'm just going to be honest. I'd love to stand out here and say, when the things get tough, I go to prayer. But I have to make myself or remind myself. It's not necessarily a natural trait. It is a learned behavior. Sue said she cries. Where are my criers in the place today? All right, we got tissues all over just for you and for me. All right. What else? What else do you do? You get angry? Is that what you said, angry? How many of you want to punch something? Or or tell somebody something. Yeah, all right. Somebody else said something. What is it? Frustrated, agitated. Is there a difference between frustration and anger? Yes, anger is frustration and action. All right, does that make sense? All right, what else? What do you do? Panic, you do what? Eat. Who is that? Yes, yes. How many of you are the eaters? Matter, you don't read jam, we can tell. All right, so here it is. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. That's what I told my wife last night. I said, I have a food addiction. And it is an emotional addiction. It, it is not, I, I love food, but it is my go-to. And, and if I'm going to be honest and stand in front of you today, you know what that means? It could be and may be an idol. And you say, well, how are you standing up here talking about your idol in front of everybody? Because I think it's real that we need to realize that a lot of times we create idols that we don't even know are there. All right, matter of fact, let's put it this way. We've said it before. Let's rock the boat. Whatever is your go-to when things get hard could be the thing you worship. It could be the God of your life. And if you get hard as go to bed, then maybe that's becoming a part of what you worship. You're thinking, if I could just get a nap, I'd be better. When the truth is, if I could just obey God and get to God, things would get better. All right, if, if I could just get a carton of ice cream, if I could just get a little Debbie or a bag of chips and a Coke, If I can, whatever it is we turn to, and sometimes, can I tell you this? Not all idols start as big statues. Sometimes they start as little things that we just grow into a habit. And so we live in a world that I believe we live in a church that we have idols that we don't even realize are there. We have things that are subliminally there that we don't even realize that we're worshiping. Worry is a form of worship. It's just not God worship. It's actually, I I heard a pastor say this, it's a form of Satan worship. Because we're focusing on all the things that he has and all the things that he's doing and all the things that could happen and we're forgetting the possibilities of God. And when we panic, let's be honest, how many of you, when you panic, you start making rash decisions? Yeah, or, or impulsive purchases. Or, or you don't take time to pray about a major thing. You just do, you act, you respond. You got angry, you got worried, you panicked at work and you quit your job. And then now you're trying to justify it that God didn't want you there, but now you're jobless, not able to pay your bills. And that is not how God works. All right, do you understand? People say, well, you know, I don't like this church or that church and I left. And now for years you've been out of church and it's like you're blaming the church hurt, but the church hurt is way in your past. And, 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 And truth is, is now you've made it the excuse or the idol that you use of why you're not worshiping God on a regular basis with other believers. And the thing is, in my life, I can always find, and here's another thing panic makes me do, excuses. I can always find the reason why I'm yelling. I can always find the reason why I'm mad. I can always find the reason why I don't want to talk to you. But the reality is, is finding those reasons and excuses is a form of self-worship. And it's a form of looking at myself and saying, it's about me, it's about my feelings, it's about what I want and what I, I, I want to do and what I want to see. And let's be honest, how many of us today can say, maybe if that's the case, I struggle with a little bit of selfishness every now and then. Yeah, that's true. I think it's important that we look at the, the, the story of Daniel and these three guys that are about to go through a first test, if you would, in the book. And we start looking at the four tactics that the enemy has to come into your life to try to break you down, bring you to addiction, and leave you in affliction. All right, I'm going to say that again because you need to write it down. The enemy wants to break you down, bring you into addiction, and leave you in affliction. All right, they're different. 
Addiction is the habit that we just talked about, the eating could be, and we always pick on the drugs and the alcohol, but I, I, I love to ask the question, who in here is an addict? Half to please raise their hand. The other half is in denial of the fact that we're all addicted to sin. We're all addicted to self. We're all addicted to nature. And outside of God's deliverance, that addiction has to be broken by the, the hands of Jesus Christ because by, by our works and righteousness, we still fall short. Anybody agree with that? Say amen. How many of you so hard try to be good in a day and happy in a day and still find yourself miserable at some part of the day? Come on, say me. All right, that's the thing. You know why? Because you're leaning on you for your happiness and joy, and it needs to be leaning on Jesus and his truth. I have found this to be truth. God's promises always work. They just don't work in our timing and in our way. And so the thing is, is if we are patient with God's promises, we will see them come true. But if we don't depend on his promises, we'll try to make our own things work. And so look at this up, if you would, and we're going to read in Daniel chapter number one. I have practiced these names, but God forgive me, I am not going to get them right. All right, so let's go. It said, during the year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I love that statement. All right, matter of fact, we're going to take a point that's not actually a main point, but let's do a little sub point, maybe an introduction right here. I, I don't know whether you're aware of it or not. The enemy has surrounded your home. The enemy has surrounded your marriage. The enemy has surrounded your children, and he is trying to lay siege on what God wants to do in your life. You know what it means to siege something, to besiege it? It means you've got it surrounded and no flow in. Now, the good news is this. You do not need a flow from the world to have a relationship with God. And so while the enemy may have your life surrounded, he cannot hinder your prayers. He cannot stop the power of God. I tell people all the time, if somebody has closed their ears to your words, hit your knees and pray because they are powerless to your prayers because there's a God that will deliver them straight to their soul. And the thing is, is sometimes we look at the world around us like that guy standing on the pride, the prophet on the top of a mountain saying, the enemy's coming. Why are you so calm? Railing to realize that if the enemy has besieged you. That means that God has sent his forces to surround you and the enemy has to go through God to get to you. And if you think you have to fight off the enemy on your own, then you've got your eyes in the wrong place. If you think you have to win this, if you think you have to overcome this, if you think you can beat your addiction, if you think you can heal your hurts, then you have left the fold. It's time to realize that the safest place to be is with the enemy around you in the presence of God. Because that's when you're going to see God move. And so we see here that they have surrounded them. And the Bible says that the Lord gave victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him, Nebuchadnezzar, to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure household of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captive. Can I tell you this right now? You know, it, it is different if you're sitting here lost than if you're sitting here saved. The message is going to take on a different tone. Because you're either sitting here lost representing who you are on your own without representation. You are not part of the family of God, nor have you inherited the identity of God, which he has so freely offered through Jesus Christ as a gift for you and I to take. And the reality is why God's love is pursuing you. The, the, the message that we're about to take will not apply to you until you get to the realization that absent Jesus Christ, we are never, will never be enough, will never come will never overcome because even if we could be the best human that ever lived, we'd still be flawed. And so as we look at this, understand what I'm about to say does not apply unless you have Jesus. So let's give invitation number one right now. Close your eyes, bow your head in your heart. I want you to examine. Do you know him? That's one thing. Does he know you because of your proclamation of him? Have you made him Lord of your life? Have you made him your savior? Have you accepted the gift that God has? Do you realize that without him, we are just sinners on our way to hell, but with him, we have grace and mercy that covers our sins and gives us hope and not just the hope that we're going to 
heaven, but a hope that on earth we can live different, be different, have the presence of God and the peace of God. And if you have Jesus in your heart today and you know you're a child of the King of Kings, you're in the family of God, that the almighty God, the Jehovah, the Yahweh that sits on his throne is not just sitting on the throne of heaven, but sitting on the throne of your heart, not just ruling over heaven, but ruling over your life. If you know you're saved today, throw a hand in the air and while it's there, say thank you Jesus for what you've done for me. Would you do that today? Now, if you're sitting here and you say, I don't know, I got confusion, I got doubt, I got questions, then let's not wait because nothing else matters than that. Let's not go through a service. Let's not go through an invitation. Let's not give five points of how you can be a better Christian. Let's just dive into Jesus and see how good he is. You say, well, I don't know and I don't understand. Good, me too. I'm still trying to learn and I'm still seeking. I am trying to find out more and more about him every day. I come short every day, but his mercy and grace makes up the difference. You do not have to be an expert at God to know that God is an expert of you. He knows you. He loves you. He called you. He chose you. He put breath in your lungs because he desired for you to be in his family. And if today you'll acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you'll believe in the resurrection, the power of God that worked through a cross to kill your sin and rose Jesus from the dead to give you hope. And you'll just simply declare him Lord of your life. God will save you. So is there anybody in the place that may be sitting here saying, I don't know if I am a child of God. If that is you with heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody looking around, would you throw a hand up where you are saying, I do not know. No, okay. Anybody else join this one? I do. Okay. Anybody else join these two? I do not know. Now the question becomes, do you want to know? And it just nod your head with me. Yes. Do you want to know? Yes. Yes. Okay. Here it is. Here's the only way I know. Jesus loves me. This I know. Finish it. For the Bible tells me so. Not because of the pastor. Look at me. Not because of a sermon, not because we baptized or the pastor, you know, maybe sprinkled you with a spit. Not because of all those other things. Not because you went to church today, but because the Bible says so. All my life is built on because the Bible says so. I got no other hope other than it is written. I got no other hope than what God has done. There is none righteous, no, not one. You're not the only one in the room today that has sinned. But the truth is, if your sin could keep you from receiving God's grace, that means that there's a sin that Jesus didn't die for. And if you're in a sin and you think, I can't get saved because of where I am, then that means my Savior has to come back and die on the cross. My Savior has to go to a grave again, and he has to raise again because your sin was the only sin he didn't die on the cross for. But my Bible does not say that. My Bible says he died for every sin of every person that ever lived, every person that is alive when he died, and every person that will ever live, meaning that everything you ever did, God already knew, and he sent his son to die for it. And you cannot be saved because you make this decision or you do these things or you do good works. You can only be saved by accepting a, a one decision, acceptance of who God is. And, and, and I'm going to go a step further because there's people that say you can lose it. People that say you can, you, you can walk away from it. But I'm going to tell you this right now. You did not earn it. You did not pay for it. You did not purchase it. And what God gives, you can't take away because you don't have power over salvation. He does. And when God says he will, he will. And anybody believe? that today? When God says, I will do this, I will do this. And so when he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that simply means if you will take God at his word, believe in what Jesus Christ had did, understanding that you're a sinner, accept Jesus Christ, then God will save you. That means exactly that. God will save you. There's no one that's ever come to God that he said no. There's no one that he's ever thrown away. He died once, was buried once, raised once. And if you give your life to him and you give your heart to him, then that salvation is good enough to not just save you once, but to save you once and for all, for all time. And so today it's not about what you are. It's about what Jesus did. And if you want to know you're saved right there, you just got to accept what he has done. If you understand that, say yes. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody look around. If you were the two that raised your hand and said, I'm not sure I'm saved. I just told you how to be sure. It's his word. The question is, are you willing to do what his word has asked you to do? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord of your life, he'll save you. And so in your heart right now, make a decision of God. Talk to God. Some call that a sinner's prayer. Some call that a follow me thing. No, but talk to God. What do you need? If you're not saved, you're not sure, say, hey, God, I want to know for sure that I am saved. I know what I am. I'm trusting in what you are. 
And I'm asking what you are to come change who I am. To take control of what I am. So I give you my life. I give you my heart. And I make you the Lord of my life. But that has to come from a place of sincerity. It has to be personal. It can't be I repeated and I am. It has to be a you talking to God, believing that God is listening and not just listening that he'll respond. Is there anybody here today that said, I just gave God my heart. I trust him. I asked him. I'm laying it on him and I'm trusting his word. And today's the day that I am accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and my Savior. Would you slip your hand up? Is there anybody like that? Okay, awesome. All right, awesome. Two for two. Now here's the thing. Next step. Open your eyes, everybody. The Bible says openly declare, and I think this is a step that we live out. Jesus said, if you're ashamed before man, I'll be ashamed before my father. I don't want that for you. And so I want to create an opportunity right now where you can make a public statement that you've accepted Christ. And in Romans 10, 9, it says, if we will openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So you've made the heart decision. Would you just make the public statement? And if you've accepted Jesus Christ today, would you just stand right where you're at? Can you do that? Can you just stand right where? I already pointed you out. You might as well. All right. So. Can you just stand and say, I made that decision, right? There's one, all right? Right there's two. Can we celebrate this with them, all right? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Now, can I tell you this? Does your salvation need affirmation? Affirmation simply meaning that sometimes you're going to need to be reminded that you're a child of God. Sometimes you're going to need uh, to get in his word and remember that God keeps his promises. A lot of people will doubt and in their mind they'll lose their salvation because they're not going to God for affirmation. So here's the thing. The best tool that confirms what God has said is his word. There's over 60 books that are written by different authors that echo everything that God has said. So if John tells you in John 3, 16, that God loved the world and gave his only son, I promise you, Matthew shows you how he did it. Mark shows you how he did it. Luke shows you how he did it. And John just brings it into a beautiful, poetic way of telling you that love. You say, what do you need? I think the, world, the Bible is the best commentary to the Bible. We're going to the world too much and to our churches too much to try to understand what God is saying directly to us. So get in the word because there's going to be times you feel dirty and there's going to be times you don't feel good enough. There's going to be times you feel like you fall short, but God has a verse for every weakness and every element of our life. God will meet you where you are. He completes what you're not and he will take you to where you never thought you could ever go. That's the goodness of God. So with that in mind, I'm going to take my last 20 minutes and we're going to hit the sermon today. I hope you're okay with that out of order thing. Because if we just ended the service right here, I know you might not have got something, but haven't got two more, and that is all that matters, right? Now, in that sense, now let's take something, let's take something for ourselves. I love that verse. Will you go back to it? Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's, what is it? Royal family. And other who? Noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Now I want to switch and just talk to believers. Just because the enemy has dialed you up and come after you today does not mean that you're not part of God's plan and God's purpose. Matter of fact, it is the family of God that the enemy's targeting today. He has the lost. If he can get the family of God to live as if they are lost, then he can keep the lost lost while making the family of God wonder. And I believe in our generation today and in my own life, if I'm not careful, I get caught up in the fact of what the enemy is doing in my life. And I forget that there is royal blood rolling through my veins, that I am not an orphan, nor are you, that I'm adopted, called son of God. I'm chosen today. And so are you, son. And so are you, daughter. And you may feel the world coming down on you. And you may feel the pressure of financial things. And you may feel the pressure of the things your kids are battling and going through. And you may feel like a failure as a parent, a failure as a wife, a failure as a husband, that does not change the fact that there's royal blood in you. And that may just be why the enemy has targeted your marriage, targeting your home, besieging it, and trying to take you out. Just because the enemy is after you does not mean that God has forsaken you. 
And I think sometimes we need to look around and we need to realize that you may be in a fight, you may be in a war, but the war and the fight does not dictate the worth and the value that God has placed on your life. You are loved today no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through. The temptation does not mean you are evil. It means that evil wants you. The the fight does not mean that you are worthless. It means the enemy wants to devalue you. You may have tripped, you may have fallen, you may have stumbled, but you are not out, you are not crushed, you are not down, you are not over. God has a plan for your life. So I'm going to talk to you today as the church about what we should do when in captivity. Because I believe we live in a world that's getting worse and worse, agree or disagree. I believe the battles are getting more and more evident. And we're seeing the front lines. We think we're battling this and that, when the truth is we're battling the enemy behind the scenes. They put the 3% on the news and we think that that's what it's about while they're doing other things behind the doors. They're pushing us closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, closer and closer to a one world bank, closer and closer to a one world currency, closer and closer. I mean, I read it and, and, and I almost celebrated it and started praying over it at the same time this week, how Tesla has now released a neurological implant that can actually make paralyzed people walk. That can actually go in and they're like, FDA is about to approve it. Meaning that the government is now coming beside the fact that we can put implants in body and change lifestyles. And you say, yes, that's good. But I'm going to tell you this right now. All of that is just getting us ready for a mark of the beast that gets implanted in our bodies. And it's just like, hey, as this comes and it goes, and I'm not saying that is it. I'm just simply saying, even the magicians of Egypt try to mimic the miracles of God. They too could turn their staffs into snakes, but they could not turn it into a snake powerful enough to take down what God had put in the hand of Moses. And I'm telling you right now that we are living in a world that's going to imitate God, look like God, and eventually there will come a person on the scene that will actually even declare themselves as God. Anybody know what that guy's going to be called? The Antichrist. And he's going to be so convincing that people are going to want to worship him. Even the Jews are going to want to follow him until he demands a sacrifice while sitting on the throne of David. While still in the temple sitting there and saying, give me this. Put a sacrifice before me and then they'll realize that he's a false thing. I'm going to tell you right now, church, you better know the word of God because the enemy likes to imitate it. The enemy likes to pretend that he is like God. He warred in heaven over a position trying to take over heaven, trying to be God. That's why the enemy convinced a third of the angels to go after God. And now he's trying to convince 7.4 billion people that are alive today that he is still better than God, that he knows better and has better. But he is a failure who has lost and not just lost. He has been defeated, meaning no chance of ever winning again. And when we look at that and we realize that, we got to understand that there's going to be smoke screens. There's going to be, look at my left hand so my right hand can do something different. There's going to be teachings that sound so clever and so godly that you want to follow them and flock to them. There's going to be lovey-dovey smile all the time, and, and God will lift you up. God wants to make you a millionaire, a billionaire, and God wants to do these things. And if you will live this life, then you will have all these things of earth. But my Bible tells me, don't lay your stuff up here, but lay it up in heaven. And so the reality says, you can't name it and claim it, but in Jesus' name, it can be done. There's a difference. And I hear people say, oh, you didn't get healing because you didn't have enough faith. Maybe you didn't get healing because you're living in a world that's full of disease. And even if you got a healing from your cold today, you might get another one in three months. If you got over COVID today, you might get it again. And you're saying, oh, I'm not getting healing because I don't have faith. And I'm, I, I, every person that's ever told me that either had a disease, died with a disease, or is still biting one today. And they're telling me I don't have faith. And I'm telling you this now. Your faith is not based on what you see God do. Your faith is based on what you believe God will do. And even if he doesn't do it, you're going to believe in God anyway. We'll get to that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. But we believe this. We will not bow down to your statue. Because we believe that our God is able to deliver us from your fire. I like this next statement. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. God help that be the statement of the church. You know, there's a lot of legislation right now that's going out that's after the church. It's after your faith. 
It's after doing these things. If we say these things or preach these things, then people are going to go against us. I can go to conferences today that'll say, don't preach harshly on sin. Don't preach against these things. But I'm going to stand in front of you today and say, I hate, hate, hate what sin has done to my life. Anybody else say yes to that? I love what Jesus has done. And I'm thankful for what God has done. But does anybody else still carry a scar of something you wish wasn't on your name or on your testimony? Anybody else still have that day that you look at what you used to be and you get a little bit sick and you look at the things that you used to do and you wonder how God could still love you and why God would still choose you? And yes, there should be some joy and celebration that he did, but you want to go to the bathroom and just puke because you don't like who you've been. Anybody like that in the place today? Yeah, amen. Yeah. sin abounded. Or sin abounded. What did he say? Grace much more abounds. We live in a very, very messed up world. And just because you're in the family of God doesn't mean the enemy's not coming after you. Nebuchadnezzar said, go get the ones from the royal family, the noble family, and bring them here. The question is not, is the enemy coming after you? We know he is. So what are you going to do when he gets there? So here's tactic number one. He'll take you out of your calling. Look at this. Go get them from their homes, from the places they were born, from their culture, and bring them here. He'll take you out of your home. I mean, somebody correct me. Omar might know this a little better. But I think we're at like a 67 to 72% divorce rate right now in the church. You know what? God wants you out of your home. God wants you to stop parenting. He wants to convince you, oh, well, you know what? You've been divorced before, so go ahead and leave this one too. You've gone through this before. And, and, and you know what we're, we're, we're learning and, and what we're seeing? Society's actually even putting this up, that our kids are having a hard time processing what to do in the midst of a struggle. You know why? I believe it's because as a culture, as adults, we don't know what to do. Anybody else say, when it starts to struggle, a struggle, I want to shut down. Raise your hand. Who's my isolator is in the room? How many of you say, I want to run? Anybody in there? How many say, I want to quit? I want to hide. How many say, before I quit and hide and run, I want to tell them what I think, and then I'm out the door. Those are the skunks in the room. All right, so the thing is, is we got all these mindsets that say, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. I give up. Can you imagine living in a day to when all of a sudden somebody knocks at your door and it's an enemy that just stole what you believed in, just tore down the temple that they'd spent years and centuries building and stole the things that were valuable and everything you believed in and all your hopes and dreams just went out the door and now the enemy's standing there and saying, you're leaving your mom, you're leaving your dad, you're not gonna live in this place anymore, you're coming with me. Can you imagine the defeat that would be in your mind? I believe that the church needs to get in the mindset that this world is not your home. If we had a home on earth, it's the Garden of Eden, agree or disagree? Are we there? So can you look around in your life today and realize that you've been taken captive to enemy territory? You know what heaven is? The return home. God's going to take you home one day. God's going to restore it one day. And that's good news. But I believe today the enemy wants you to believe that what's not your home is your home. He wants you to get comfortable where you are. I want you to get comfortable in the world's ways, comfortable in the way the world thinks. That's number two. If you look in verse number four, it says, select the ones that are strong, healthy, good-looking young men, he said, and make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men, here it is, in the language and literature of who? Babylon. You know the number two thing that the enemy is coming after? Your talents and your abilities. He didn't go after the weak. He went after the ones that could do something. He didn't go after the failure. He went after the ones that were able to be something. I wrote this in my notes. Too many God-given talents and ability are being used for the enemy's work today. Can you imagine how strong the church would be if the people that were gifted to talk to others would not gossip, but instead teach the word. 
I thought that as I wrote this, what would happen in our world if the talent and the gift of the tongue that God gave you was not used to tear down and not used to belittle and not used to point out judgment and condemnation, but instead used to proclaim Jesus, used to preach truth, used to set captives free? What if the tongue wasn't trained to lie, but instead tell the truth? What if we were trained not to stand and pretend that we're the perfect, instead stand and, and be honest about who we are, knowing that God's perfection is the only hope we have and his righteousness clothing us is the only chance of looking good we'll ever get and so we we stand and instead of letting the enemy take down the talents and abilities of the church we train them to be used by an almighty god to take back enemy territory and bring it back into god's kingdom I think today I, I, I look at people and say, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says that the thief steals and changes their life. What do they do with their hands? Anybody know? Put it to work. They need a job that takes their hands. It's like telling a thief don't steal anymore and then telling them to put their hands in their pocket. How long is that going to happen? If you don't believe that, take your kids into a China store, if those exist anymore, and tell them to put their hands in their pockets. How long does it last? Come on, now talk. Not long. And now you're in, a, you're in panic because their, their hands are out. And hands out means what? Touching. Touching means what? It doesn't mean damage. It means the possibility of damage. And what does damage mean? Cha-ching. You break it, you... Yeah, you know what? I think heaven says that too. You broke it, I bought it. You damaged it, I took it back. I think God wants to speak into our lives and say, hey, give your talents and abilities. I mean, what would happen if some of you who like to journal would actually turn journals into devotionals? You know, you'd have to probably change your tactic. It couldn't be all about you, but it got to be about what God, you saw God do in your trial, in your tragedy. I think today the more talented and gifted you are, and the more you develop your talents and gifts, the more the world's going to come after it. ACDC and all these other bands, there's a few of them, ACDC being one of them, that was very vocal in the fact that they sold out their soul to the devil for their fame. There's actors that have said the same. They're saying, give me fame, I'll give you my soul. You know what they're saying? I'll take hell to have heaven on earth. Only to get to hell and write songs about hell. I'm on a highway to it and I'm going down. I'm on a high, and we know the song, right? And, and, and all these things, they were, they were literally speaking and, and, and saying the things that they believed, but they had a misconception of what hell was. Hell's not a party where lawlessness exists. Hell is a punishment where the absence of God is and identity ceases to exist. And then they get there and realize that it's nothing like they thought. But you know what they've done? Use talent and ability to draw people in for decades. You say you're preaching against these things. Now, I'm just simply saying this. Is anybody else tired of the world getting all the talent? The world getting all the fame and all the glory. I believe it's time that the church of the living God says, hey, we're strong, we're gifted, we're talented. Some of you are good looking, the others of you, maybe we wouldn't have got picked. But the thing is, is hey, we got all this going for us and we got all this in us. So we're not going to let the enemy have Jefferson County. We're not going to let the enemy have River Run Circle. We're not going to let the enemy have our territory. He's coming after your talents. He's coming after your gifts. It doesn't mean you have to surrender. Right. Oh, that we would change. In Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So you hate your job. Do it as a representative of the Lord, giving thanks to God for the ability to buy a loaf of bread this week. You hate your husband, your wife. Do it as a representative of the Lord. You say, well, I don't know that I want to stay in this. And some of you are sitting here saying nobody actually lives this way. There's more in the room than you think. There's people right now ready to quit and give up. Matter of fact, close your eyes. How many of you would say in my relationships, whether it be with my, my spouse or with my children, that I am on the edge? Would you slip your hand up? Raise your hand. They're popping up. I am on the edge. I don't know what to do. I'm broken. All right, yeah, there's many. Take them down quick. Now open your eyes. The reality is, yes, you are on the edge, but you're on the edge of either giving in to what Satan wants you to do or on the edge of seeing what God can do in a broken situation. 
And at some point of our lives, we've got to understand that the enemy wants to come in after the home. He wants to come in after the talent. But then number three, he wants to change who you are. Look at this. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They, they were uh, uh, to be trained for three years, three years. Um, matter of fact, if you want a, a good study of the Bible, go study three. How many of you know what the number three represents in the Bible? Huh? Resurrection. You got it? Resurrection. So write that down. You know why? Because I love it. When Satan goes after three, God comes out on the other side of that with something bigger and better. You ready for this? He put Jesus in the grave how many times? How many days? Three. What happened on the third? He rose. What happened to hell? Come on now. Anybody else happy about that? Yeah, maybe you're living in hell on earth too long. Maybe you need to get back. Maybe, maybe you've been worshiping the things of the temple and now it's gone and you're, you don't have anything to have joy about. And it's not the things of the temple you needed to be worshiping. It was the presence of God in your life. And so even if they take your cup or they take your house, they take your things, even if they take you know, your identity, even if you didn't get the promotion, you still have the presence of God in your life, making you powerful, making you royal, making you worthy, making you something the enemy can't stop. So stop worshiping the things of the world and worship the God who created it. He tried to change their identities, new names. Look at this in, in, in the next verse. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was named Belshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. Mishael was named Meshach. And Azariah was named Abandigo. In, 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 in verse number four, they had to learn the language and the customs of Babylon. In verse number five, in verse number six, they become the identities of it. And I think this is happening in our worlds today. We're hearing people called um, quitter, uh, cheater, addict. We're hearing people called liars, people called failures, bankruptcies. They're, they're, you're known by what you do or what you've done or what you haven't done and haven't accomplished. And I'm telling you this now, it's time for us to get the identity, the name that the world has put on us and get back to the identity that God has given us. And that is the identity that does not change just because your circumstances changed. I, I, I will say this. I think a lot of people give up on God when things get really bad or really good. Agree or disagree? A lot of people come to God in the process of bad. They see God start to do good. Then they think they've got it. They stop seeking God, and what happens? Huh? It crumbles. How many of you have been in that rotation before? If you need God in the bad, you need him more in the good. Agree or disagree? I tell the, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. In the bad, you find out who God is. In the good, you find out what you actually believe about him. In the bad, you're, all I need is Jesus. We'll get at an altar and we'll weep. We'll go to God in prayer and we'll, we'll cry out to God. How many of you have ever done that over your children, over a job, over something, finances? How many of you have found yourself just crying out to God? Yeah? And then all of a sudden, God answers that prayer and we never return to say thank you. Or we never go back and say, God, you're good. We, we, we start thinking about how cool the circumstances were. You know, um, I, I made a risky move in, in my business lately, and I hired somebody. And I was very scared to hire somebody in a position. And, 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 and I just kept praying. And all of a sudden, we, we, we went on a double date, and I ran into this family, and, and we started talking. And, and they had somebody in their family that was interested in, a couple years ago in, in being in real estate. And I was like, are they still interested? And they're like, yeah, but they kept getting led on by an agent that this agent's going to hire them, and they never do. And I was like, well, I really need to hire somebody. Let's talk. And so we start talking and then we make that move and we make that hire. A few days later, my coach from Colorado calls me on the phone and says, do you realize that the person you just hired in Tennessee, I taught in kindergarten and in first grade in South Carolina. And you know what I love is in my fear of God saying the same person teaching you has taught them. And that's a good combo. The same person, and, and, and you're like, what in the world? How has this happened? And if you're not careful, you start thinking, wow, what a coincidence. Instead of saying, God, thanks for the confirmation. 
I, I, if you're waiting on peace in your life to make a decision, peace is not an external thing. It's an internal process. And peace in your life doesn't look like everything makes sense. Peace actually oftentimes comes in the face of fear. When you know things are scary here and you don't really know what to do, but in, in your heart, you know that God has called you. You know that God has positioned you. I, I would like to say that if I brought every children's teacher out here and said, do you love being in children's ministry when you were first asked or first called to be in it? Were you comfortable being in it? I doubt any of them would say yes. I think most of them would say I was scared. We hear that a lot, don't we? I'm scared to teach. I'm scared to do that. I love it. That's what Moses did when he stood before God. I can't speak. I can't do these things. I can't. I can't. I can't. And at some point, you got to get to that place where you realize what you can't do so that you can start hearing God say, I can. I can. I will. I do. I've got this. And at some point, we got to get to the exchange with God to where we realize that what the world has said we are does not dictate what God declared us to be. And just because you feel like a failure today and just because you feel worthless today does not mean that that is the tone of heaven towards you. At some point of your life, you got to realize that Satan wants you to feel a certain way so he can get you to do certain things. The thing that made Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel so successful is they did not buy into the indignation, the, 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 the attack and onslaught of the enemy trying to break them down from who they were. They stood true on what they believed. Because the fourth thing the enemy is going to try to do is nourish you with their customs and ways. So what's the king say? He says, um, we're going to feed them like us. We're going to teach them like us. But verse number eight, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine that was given to him by the king. So he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, I I want you to understand this. Whether you and I want to admit it or not, the world has more than likely given up on you and us in trying to change the way we believe. Agree or disagree? You don't see ads dictated at you. What are they after? Say it. Kids. All the laws aren't, let's dictate what the church can say to the grown-ups. Let's dictate what the schools say to parents. The laws are now Let's control what we can say to the kids. Let's separate the kids from the moms and dads. Um, You need to pray for those teachers, private or public school. They're in war. Any of the teachers in the place agree with that? They're in war. And you need to thank God for people. By the way, the church doesn't need to bail out of all their public jobs. We need to realize that God has put us in the public sphere to bring him there instead of trying to get all of God out of these areas. No, get in there. I mean, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing in a foreign land in front of a foreign king, but still knew who they were on the inside. You might be standing in a world that tears down what you believe in. You might be the parent that everybody says is too hard, too much. You might be the one that they say, I wouldn't discipline like you. I wouldn't say this like you. And you shouldn't control the gender of your children. You shouldn't tell them this. And you, you shouldn't have this pronoun or that pronoun. And you should let them choose. You, you might be standing in a world that says this is acceptable. And if you're not this, you're out. You need to realize that you're not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're Mishael and, 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 and you're Azariah. You're, you're Daniel. You're not Belshazzar. You're, you're who God made you to be. And I'm mom and dad regardless of what the world wants us to be. And I'm mom and dad that either stands on the word of God and the identity that God has given me, or I'm mom and dad that says, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'm a captive in your land. I'm gonna give you control. And I promise you this, had they given the control back to Nebuchadnezzar that he wanted, they would have wound up in a worse position. But because they stood their ground, God rewarded them. God met them there. Your, Your friends might be looking at you saying, if I was you, I'd leave him. How many of you have heard that? How many of you men have heard, if I was you, I'd leave her? I've heard it. Come on now. How many of you have had your parenting attacked and heard that you were too much? Heard that you were too far? 
The question, real question is, how many of us caved there? How many of us stopped teaching our kids and let the world nourish them and feed them from their table? Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the customs and behaviors of the world. Matter of fact, will you write this down in your notes? Common culture, the majority is often going in a way opposite of God. So if you're in the majority opinion, you could more than likely be in opposition to God's truth. And I don't want to stand up here and be a pastor that teaches us to dumb down the things of God. Now, everything we do and say should be in love, and that's the method we should use. But the reality is there's a war that's out there, and it's coming after the identities. It's trying to take our children from the hands of God into the hands of an enemy that wants to destroy them. It's trying to take our churches down a path of mediocrity to where it's more about numbers and how you look and how good you are and how many programs you are than it is about do you know Jesus, are you going to heaven, and are you living right? We're more about how many people we can get in our pews and in our seats than how many people we're trying to get into the kingdom of God. And that has to change. And so we stop preaching on hell because we believe that that's too harsh. We stop preaching on sin because we believe that's too offensive. We stop preaching on the, uh, on the Ten Commandments and we stop preaching on the things that God has said not to do because we're scared that if we preach against somebody's sin, they may leave. And the truth needs, we need to preach on it in love so that they don't leave maybe the church, but maybe they leave the position they're standing in in life so that they can stand in the position of which God has called them. Maybe they leave their worldly name behind and they stand in the name that God has given them. Maybe they leave the calling that the world has to destruction and stand in the power of the calling that God has placed on them today. Just maybe, just maybe, if we believed what God said, taught what God said, we'd see revival in our young people today. Maybe we'd see a change. Maybe we'd see hope. Write these things down. They were determined not to be. I'm going to give you this. You got it in Bible study. I'm going to give you this in a list. Five things that God gave them. You're going to go read them later. I will give you the scripture. Number one, as a result of not doing it, they got strength. When they asked King Nebuchadnezzar if they could eat their things, he said this. If they come back pale, we'll behead them. There was a threat. By by the way, can I tell you this? There is always from the world a threat to standing in godliness. But it's just a threat. It's a dog. It's a chihuahua barking that will never bite. Because the enemy will threaten you and try to scare you out of doing what God has called you to because here's one thing the enemy knows. Matter of fact, can we, can we make this statement? Here's something the enemy knows better than the church. God does not lose. And so the enemy tries to scare you from doing the will of God because he knows the will of God works. He's experienced it every single time he has tried to take out somebody all the way from Adam and Eve, all the way to Job, all the way to Jesus, all the way to you. Every time he tries to hinder the plan of God, he knows that if you and I trust the plan of God, that God does not lose. So he will scare you out of God's will. If you come back, pal, we're beheading you. Daniel says, give me 10 days. 10 days. You know what I love? It's change doesn't take a lifetime. It takes a choice. And God will come through with number, number one. He gave them strength in verse number 15. It says at the end of the day, uh, 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young man who had eaten the food designed, assigned by the king. Number two, they came back with knowledge. Verse number 17, God gave these four young men unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. They became smart. Number three, they had ability. The second part of that verse, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams, which how many of you realize would save Daniel later? I mean, this is it. Number four, he gave them abilities that surpassed the enemies. That's verses 18 all the way down through 20. He said, when the, the training period ordered by the king was completed, three years, the staff brought all the young men to the king Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know what I love? Is even though they were not named that by the king, God kept their names intact. The identity works. And in the word, he says, this is what they have to say about you. This is who you are. 
and no one had the abilities like them. Whenever the king consulted them in matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom. Number five, you find in verse 19, he put them in the royal service. They got to serve in the palace. I don't know about you, but I'm in a point in my life that I need some strength. Anybody got the things that feel stronger than you right now? Will you talk to me? Yes or no? Yeah. Anybody else got the decisions you don't know how to make? Anybody else need some knowledge and wisdom right now? Say yes. Come on. Yeah. Anybody ever uh, going, and I, I'm having these. Anybody else having dreams right now that you don't understand? It might not be a dream that you're having when you're asleep, but maybe God's putting a call on your life that doesn't make sense. Maybe God's calling you to start an orphanage and you know all the red tape. Maybe God's calling you to change careers at 40 and 50. And I'm not saying that, Julie. I'm not saying you have to start an orphanage. She's like looking at her daughter. It's like, no, no. But maybe God's saying, hey, you're 45 years old. Let's get your career started. Hey, you're 60 years old. Let's get you in ministry. Hey, you're 70 years old and you say, I'm too old. Really, can I tell you this? Most of Jesus's life was spent, written about his last three years of life. You're never too old for God to use you. Maybe you're at that point where you're looking at your kids and they're 12 and they're 13 and you're thinking, I wasted a lot of years. And God's saying, you still got time left. Maybe they're 28 and 30 and you're thinking, I messed up their lives. And God's like, no, no, you're still mom. You're still dad. Love this. Anybody in the room that just has a desire to be used by God, that doesn't want to be mediocre and go through a life that's just mundane, doesn't want to just exist, but wants to see God do something powerful in their lives, wants to see God do something miraculous through their lives, wants to see, is there anybody in the room that says, yes, I want that? So we're acknowledging that we need strength. We're acknowledging we need wisdom. We're acknowledging we need abilities that only God can give. We need, uh, we're acknowledging we need abilities to be able to educate our kids beyond what the world has and beyond these things. We're acknowledging that we want to be used by God. Then we've got to do what Daniel did. We've got to notice the tactics of the enemy and stand our ground. Can I tell you this right now? There's so many verses about what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do. So many verses about the result of what God did. There was only one verse about Daniel. And it's the verse where he said in verse number eight, he chose that he would not be defiled by the king's food. You're saying, what do you got to do? We got to recognize the enemies out there and we got to know what God can do. And there's one thing. I've got one point for you today and I waited to the very end to give it to you. Make the choice to trust God and obey God no matter what is going on around you. And watch God give you strength. Watch God give you wisdom. Watch God give you abilities that you never thought you could have. Watch God make you the Chuck Norris of heaven where you're kicking butt and taking names of every tactic of the enemy. When we come in here on Monday nights, and this past Monday night, we said it was the last day of school, this will be the lowest, and they packed out half the church, the half the bottom. Let's make it real. As we sit there and we look at them and we see them making decisions, and now... Yeah, I, I'm going to say this, and I'm not saying this about past classes. We got Carly, who's serving in the military, and Alan, I think, here. Yeah, there he is, serving in the military. They've made decisions and gone forward with their lives. But never have we seen to the magnitude kids leaving high school, graduating our youth group, and every single one of them have a position of trajectory that they're going. And I thought to myself, we've done something here. In Jesus' name, we're doing something here. In the name of the ever-living God, we're going to keep doing something in these lives until Jesus Christ returns. I look at our church and I'm thinking to myself, are we doing something here? Are we giving something that matters here? Are we building lives here? Are we changing this here? But I'm telling you right now, I'm seeing too many people. I myself, at points of my life, have chased the world instead of chasing Jesus. And I think we need teachers. We need pastors. We need evangelists. We need people that'll stand and say, don't get defiled by the identity that they're trying to put on you, by the nourishment that they're trying to give you. Get in the word of God and know this. It works. It's true. It never fails. Never. 
So I don't know about you. I don't need to ask God to give me strength. I just need to be obedient, knowing he will. I don't need to ask God for wisdom, although he says, if I ask him, he'll give it to me and he won't withhold. That's James. But I just need to be obedient to his word and know that he will. Abilities, callings, talents. He's already placed them in you. I asked my daughter the other day as we were sitting in her room, and I'll close with this. We were sitting in a room, we were playing, and she was telling me some things that she wants to be. You know, and, and they're really cool. They're achievable. They kind of scare me because I think the things that she wants to be might take her away from me. But as I sat there and I heard her say that as we were playing like little dolls, the thought went through my mind. God, make me a nurturer of what you have put in her, not a distraction or an agitator, but a compliment to what it is that you want to do. God, I don't want to be the one that says you can't do that. Or have you thought about all the hardship? Have you thought about all the debt? You know, I, I hear that all the time. Somebody comes in and says, I, I want to be this. And somebody immediately says, do you know how expensive that is? It's either you trust God or you don't. Six years old, I was teaching Care Bears. Because I think God put in me as a child what he wanted me to be as a man. I hope you're Care Bears and not just jerks, you know? I hope we're still pouring into people and we're turning them into people that want to go share the gospel. But who would have thought at six that at 39 I'd be standing here? And I chased everything else, wanting to be this, wanting to be that, wanting to be this. But you know what? I couldn't outrun what God had put in me. And the truth is, neither can you. So I think we need a church that says, let the world do and say what it wants to do. Let it make me a captive in a foreign land. No matter where I am, no matter what I do, I'm going to believe in God, trust God, obey God. Knowing that God is the only way we're going to succeed at this. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask you one question. Let's say goodbye to everybody online.